up? Welcome to the Reformation Over Revival podcast. Uh, we're going to be jumping into Romans chapter 2 today. I'm excited. Hope you've been following along with us the intro in Romans 1. If you haven't, go back and check that out and uh, then hop on this one, Romans chapter 2. All right, let's get going. So we're going to go ahead and hop into today's uh, chapter, Romans chapter 2. Um, things are starting to get good. It's already been good. Uh, I love I love Romans and everything that everything that it has to say and teach us. Um, I'm going to open my Bible up here and get things situated. But anyway, so just going into... Um, Romans chapter two, you know, verses one through 16, kind of our, um, real, uh, focal points that we're seeing things come out here. Romans, uh, two, one through 16 is that, you know, the judgment of man, man's inability to judge properly. Um, anytime that we are judgmental in ourselves, anytime we look to another and we judge and, and Paul here is speaking to the Jews and, and I would say, too, also to the Gentile believers, um, but particularly to the Jewish believers in the church in Rome. And he's saying, look, the way you live, you're using the law to judge. You're using these things and that you hold people to. You're using this to judge them. But are you doing it? And so he's really posing the question. He's making a statement, and he's really drawing the conclusion um, as, it, as it really uh, – appears in this passage that the judgment of man is is faulty and hypocritical. You know, God's perfect judgment, however, is righteous and holy. So he's drawing this comparison between the judgment of man and how man judges and what that leads to, and then the judgment of God, how God judges and what that leads to. So it's a, it's a real um, important distinction for us to make. It's also very clear through what he's saying in, in uh, verses 1 through 16 that judging others is one of the most sure ways that, that we bring condemnation and judgment upon ourselves. And so if I'm looking outwardly and I'm, I'm judging these other people, but yet inside myself, I'm not living even to the standards that I am judging them by, I am drinking condemnation upon myself. Um, I think something else is really important to point out is where he references and he says, the father will, and, and he quotes, uh, this is in uh, verse six, he says, the father will render to each one according to his deeds. And then he has what you will receive for these different ways of living. So as we're going like down into, I think it's verses uh, seven, eight, and then it looks like um, through through 10. So it says, you know, if you patiently continue in doing good, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality, then you will inherit eternal life. But if you, and if you work with what is good, if you're doing good, if you're, you know, um, honoring the Lord, if you're seeking after good, you know, the, the fruit of the spirit in your life, then you will receive glory, honor, and peace. But if you're self-seeking, if you do not obey truth, if you obey unrighteousness, there's going to be this indignation, this wrath, tribulation, and anguish that you bring into your life. And so it's really a reminder, and it's a question that he's posing to this church of, okay, you're holding everyone to these standards, but what are you seeking? What are you doing? Who are you becoming? 
What life are you living? How are you acting? How is it, how is it coming forward in your life? Are you um, patiently continuing and doing good? Or are you just suffering through doing what's right because you know that's what's right? Or are you patiently pushing in, persevering, going, you know what? This is who I am. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I want to do. This is what God has commanded me to do. Um, So now I'm going to patiently continue in this. I'm going to make sure that I am 100% seeking after this. Um, Where He says, um, seeking for glory, honor, and immortality. Am I seeking to glory? the Lord and as Jesus says to receive the glory of the Lord in my life so that Jesus shares the glory that's been given to him with me which is really just uh, the, the perfect way in my life that I can glory God it's not glory that that is pushed onto me it's the glory of God that is shared with me so that I can glory um, glorify the Father as well and so that's kind of the the push of this is who are you living for? How are you living? Because there will be specific rewards given to the way that you live. He's going to render to each one according to his deeds. So what deeds are we seeing come forth? Because you're either going to receive eternal life, glory, honor, and peace, or you're going to receive indignation, wrath, tribulation, and anguish. So it's like, okay, what life are you living Look at yourself, check yourself before you're judging others, before you're going after other people for not doing this or not doing that. Make sure you check yourself because what you are judged on will be the life you lived. I think that's an important thing for us to think about as well because we have this really loose interpretation of salvation. And again, I'm going to make the distinction here. I am not insinuating that we are saved by our works. There is no work man can do that can save him. The finished work of the cross, Christ's death on the cross, and my death in him, which we'll learn about in a couple of chapters from now, but that reality is what has allowed me to walk in the newness of life. So walking in that newness should produce fruit in me. And it is according to the fruit, like we look at the parable of Jesus looking at the fig tree, and the fig tree doesn't produce any fruit. And because the fig tree has not produced fruit, Jesus curses it and it dies. Now, it wasn't the fact that that fig tree, you know, had a good root system or had, you know, whatever. It's we knew the fig tree didn't have a good root system because the fig tree didn't produce fruit. And so, yeah, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to go around judging each other based off of, uh, you know, this and that and the other, especially if we're not living to those standards, but we do need to be preparing ourselves and we need to be letting others know the Lord will be judging us based off of the way we have let our salvation manifest in our life. And what I mean by that is if you are truly saved, I believe it will manifest in your life. If you have given your life to Jesus, then you will live a life given to Jesus. If you have given everything to him, you will live a life that bears the fruit of him in your life. So it's those outward expressions that we will be judged by. Uh, Let's move down. It says, uh, "Hearing uh, hearing and being aware of truth is not the price of a just position before God. It's doing the truth that you were made aware of. That's the key. It's almost like actions speak louder than words. It's, you know, the old saying, your actions speak louder than your words. You can say, well, I love you, 
But then if you're not showing the person you love them, then, well, hey, listen, man, your actions speak louder than your words. And so in that same way, what we're seeing going on here towards the, the bottom half of, of verses 1 through 16 is this distinction that just because you hear it and just because you've been made aware of it, that doesn't save you. That doesn't, that's, that's not it. It's not just, it's like James, not just being hearers of the word, but being doers of the word. It's the combination of being a hearer and being a doer. The doing is what proves that what I've heard has taken root in my heart. It's not saying that what I'm doing is what's saving me. It's saying that because I have been saved, I will now do things differently. That's, that's the reality of it. It's not that I have been saved because of what I've done. It's that because of what Jesus has done, I'm saved. And now what I do will look like what Jesus did. We've made the standards too low. We've made it too easy. We've taken away all of the actual living it out and doing it part of Christianity. And because of that, we have these like sorry excuses for believers who say they follow Jesus and they don't know what Jesus taught. They don't live like Jesus lived, but yet they claim Jesus's name. That's absolutely crazy. That's not what the Bible teaches. If you have been saved, you will walk in newness of life. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Well, if Christ lives in me, then the things that I've heard, the things that I've seen, it's like in John 3 when Jesus says, we bear witness to what we have seen. That's how I'm living as a believer. I'm living as a follower of the way, the truth, and the life. I'm saying I've seen this. I've tasted and seen that Jesus is good. And because I've tasted and seen of him, it's these actions that are coming forth as the fruit of my decision that I've made to follow Jesus. These actions that I'm doing are speaking louder than any word I could ever say. That is kind of the tone and the mood of uh, Romans chapter 2 towards the, the bottom part of verses 1 through 16. Then we have, you know, where he talks about the law being written. It says, for, um, for when Gentiles who do not have the law, this is verse 14, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. Their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So even without the Jewish law given to the non-Jewish people, the reality of God's intent being written on the hearts of men is, is really made evident in our like natural inclination of right and wrong, like our, our morality. But again, morality is not the goal in itself. Christ is. So the proof of the law being written on our hearts is found in our morality. It's found in the fact that we all know, whether we've ever read the Ten Commandments or not, we know murder is wrong. Right? We know cheating and lying are wrong. We know stealing is wrong. It's because the law is written on the hearts of man. Because we are all created by the same creator who has the same values, who has the same intents and purposes. And so that doesn't mean that because I don't have the Hebraic law that I'm excused from knowing right from wrong. Because even naturally just born into this world, there are certain things that we are ingrained with knowing are right and certain things we are ingrained with knowing are wrong. That's the proof that God is at work. That's the proof 
that it's not just these special Jewish people as Paul is Paul is making this this connection. It's not just you who have the law because there's proof through the morality of these people that even the Gentiles have the law written on their hearts. But morality is not the end goal. So he's like, you're not just special because you have the law because these folks don't even have the law, but they have it written on their hearts because it's proved in what they find excusable or inexcusable. But even in that, you still need something more. So he's drawing this parallel and saying, look, the Jews and the Gentiles are really on the same playing field. Just because you have the law doesn't make you better than them. You all are in need of the same thing. You're all in need of Jesus, which is the gospel that I am preaching. That's the point Paul's making. So then as we kind of move into verses 17 through 24, we see this um, really, again, he's reemphasizing what the point he started to make kind of in verses 14 and on, where he's talking about how the Jews are just as guilty as the Gentiles. Because the Jews are coming into this saying, hey, we're better. And the Gentiles are like, well, we're just here, dude. And so they're like, well, you know what? You should do things the way we do them. And this is really a good place for us to start reading the word Jew as Christian in order to apply it to where we're at right now in the world with the church. So like verse 17, indeed, you're called a Jew. We could say it like this. Indeed, you're called a Christian and rest on the law and you make your boast in God and you know his will and you approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. That is a verse 24 is like a punch to the gut. And it should be a punch to the gut for us in the church as well. Because again, like I said, we should read verse 17 as this. Indeed, you are called a Christian. And then he goes into this explanation. So, you know, verse 17 should, should set the mood for us to go, okay, we're saying we're a Christian. Now, Paul's giving us this distinction here of like, okay, you say you're this. Now, let's draw this comparison. So, I want to ask a couple questions. How confident are we that we are a guide to the blind and a light in the darkness? Are we confident that if someone looks at the way we live, I'm not just talking, because again, Paul is making a distinction here between what you say and what you do. He's saying you say this, but then do you do this? And you say this, but then do you do this? So here's the question. Is our lives, are our lives, are they a, a guide to the lost? Are we teaching the blind people? Are we making light in the darkness because of how we live? You know, Jesus says in Matthew 5, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Are we living in that way? Or when we're busy teaching others, are we just mouthing off at them facts we don't follow? Because you can, you know, I think one of the, one of the recent examples, um, and this may seem a little controversial, but you can do your own research on the matter if you want to. Um, Ravi Zacharias, who after he'd already passed away, a lot of horrible things came out about him. Um, things that it, it seems like, and, and we do not know uh, the man's heart as he laid on his deathbed and took his last breaths. 
But it seems like instead of being repentant, um, Robbie Zacharias took great measures to hide his sins that he was struggling with. He took great measures to um, keep people quiet and great measures to make sure no one ever found out about it. And that doesn't really look like a repentant heart. Now, again, what happened on his deathbed, we don't know. And I'm not going to judge him because we just read Romans 2 says not to. But Let's say that what, what we do know is that for a large amount of time, while Robbie Zacharias, who was an amazing communicator and a massive, what appeared to be instrument for the kingdom of God to um, combat wrong thinking in the non-Christian world, he was a defender of God against atheists and these different things. But what we can see what was happening in his life is he was teaching one thing, but his private life was not impacted by his public teaching. That, that statement alone it should tell us everything we need to know about ourselves. It, does our public teaching match up with our private life, with our private living? So think about what you would tell your friends they need to do. You know, a couple ideas I had was like, you know, um, don't worry. Don't, don't look, you don't need to worry. You need to have faith. But then something happens to us and man, we are freaking out. We're worrying. We're full of fear. We're full of doubt. You know, we tell people you, you should just give, just be, just be bold and just give. God's going to bless it. But then God asks us to give and we're stingy. We're withholding. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about your time. Uh, maybe it's your, your, you know, whatever your, your weekend, your spare time, those different things. And we would encourage other people's to other people to do things that we don't do ourselves. Don't lust. We're like, look, you should not lust. You should not commit adultery. That is horrible. And then we go home and in our private life, in our, in our thinking, in our mind, we're doing the very same things we're telling people not to do. That goes on and on and on and on and on forever and ever. You pick the sin. We all know this sin is wrong. If somebody asks us to, if, if they should do it, we'd tell them no. If we caught somebody in the middle of it, we would tell them it was evil. But then we, in our private life, in some manner or form, we practice the things we tell people not to do. Is that something that we're guilty of? Is that something that is happening continually in our lives? Or are we teaching and living the same thing? Now, this is not easy, especially take it from me as a Bible teacher. <laughs> it's not easy, but that's the reality of the kingdom is that we can live it out. It's not that we have to teach these principles that are impossible. It's that we get to teach these truths of the kingdom. And like Jesus, we get to exhibit that they are true. So I'm going to, I'm going to say this, setting the ground moving forward in Romans, you can't teach Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, and 8, that you're dead and that you're dead. Your old man is dead and you are now alive in Christ. You can't teach that if you're not living that. You can't teach people that their sin nature is dead if your sin nature is still kicking your butt every day. And now that's the problem with Bible teachers who want to soften the gospel is because instead of elevating the way they live to what the Bible actually says, they try to lower what the Bible says to make it fit the way they live. That is evil. We cannot do that. So then here's the, here's the last question that I'll ask on that topic. Are our lives the reason that people speak poorly of Christians? Do we cause the lost to hate the way, the truth, and the life? Are we causing lost people to go, I don't want to do that. Why would I want to be a part of that? 
I can't tell you how many people I've talked to over the last year who are like, man, I hate churches because my dad was a pastor. Man, I hate church because, you know, my parents were leaders in a church and I saw them do this at home. Man, I hate, and it's like, literally what has happened is there are multiple people. There are probably millions of people all over the world, at least thousands, who have a negative, derogatory, poor view of the kingdom because someone who claimed to be an ambassador for the kingdom abused them not necessarily saying that they laid hands on them or anything, but they abused them by teaching them one thing and then exemplifying something else to them. That's that's evil. And and the sad part is I've been guilty of that. There's been multiple times throughout the, my life in ministry where my family at home, my wife, my children, you know, my my close friends, they've seen me do something other than what I've taught. And, and thank God that I believe that, you know, it's, it's not been too late and, and I've been able to apologize and correct and go, man, you know what? I'm working on that. That wasn't, that's not who I am. That's not, that was wrong of me. And I've been able to repent and kind of change directions and, and, and really commit to grow the way that, that the Lord is directing. But man, that's something we have to be so careful about is we cannot just walk around spouting out a spouting off at the mouth these things that we know the Bible says if we're not living that way. So that's you know enough on that. Just keep that in mind. Verses 25 through 29 really gets into the, the, the reality that man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Man's looking outward. Man's looking for these outward displays of righteousness and holiness. And yes, we will. This is what's so crazy is. It, basically what, what Paul is doing is he, he starts out by saying, look, do these things, bear this fruit, you'll be judged by your works. You'll be judged by the actions. Then he goes backwards and he says, but listen, those outward expressions, circumcision, that physical thing, it doesn't count if it's not happened inside of you. And so that's where like before we move forward in this study, I want to draw this specific differentiation. All right, so if you're taking notes, write this down. Any action that seems to be righteous that doesn't come from a righteous heart is pointless. Any action that that is evil that you think came from a righteous heart didn't. (laughs) Righteous hearts produce righteous actions. So once our life has been given to him, our actions will look like him. But I can fool you into thinking I look like him if you're judging me based off of actions alone. Okay, so this can go all the way back to the beginning of chapter 2 where we're talking about how man's judgment is, is a failure. Man cannot efficiently or proficiently judge. Okay, only God can. And here's why. Because man looks only at the outward appearance, okay? Because that's all we can do. So if I'm looking at the outward appearance and I see something that I don't agree with, so let's say I have a personal private conviction that maybe it's something that scripture doesn't deal specifically with, but I've been convicted I shouldn't do that. Let's say that I've been convicted that I shouldn't eat ice cream anymore. And so I see you eating ice cream and oh my gosh, I think you're going to hell and you're evil because you're doing something that God told me I shouldn't do. Okay, that's, fa- that's, that's a failure in judgment 
Now, in the same way, let's say that I have been convicted that I should go every single weekend and serve at a soup kitchen because that's what the Lord has commanded me to do. And so now one of the fruit in my life that you'll see from my heart being changed and me being obedient to the Lord is that I'm going and serving in a soup kitchen every single week. And that's how I'm obeying what the Lord's called me to do. And so let's say there's someone who is serving right beside me at the soup kitchen. And instead of being there because the Lord commanded them to be there, they are there because they like the attention they get and how people pat them on the back when they see them serving at the soup kitchen. Okay, well, here's the failure in human judgment. When I look at that person serving, I'll go, man, I'm serving from a place of purity in my heart and we're doing the same thing. They must be just as close to the Lord as I am. So I might start taking advice from them and I might start letting them speak into my life. I might start spending time with them. And the reality of it is they're doing the same action, but they have an evil heart. And so that's why human judgment is always going to be incompetent. But God's judgment is perfect because man's judgment tries to use the outward expression, the outward things that I see to, to judge the heart and the character of the heart. God always uses the character of the heart to validate the reality of the action. So that is how we have to be looking at these things, right? right the right heart will produce the right action. The expressions of the flesh are of no purpose if they're not directly tied to a change of heart. So you can fast, you can pray, you can do whatever you want to do. And if it's not coming from a place of glorying the Lord and honoring the Lord and singing praises to the Lord, it's wrong. And the Lord will know that. And so it's not just that he's going to, when it says he'll judge you by your actions or he'll judge you by your works, it's not just saying he's going to judge you by your works. So if, as long as you've done good works, everything's good. That's not what it is. He's going to judge the quality of what you've done and it's going to be directly connected to the heart that you did it with. That is why Jesus died to change us on the inward man. He died so that the inward man that would do a good thing with a perverted reason can die so that I can do anything to the glory of the Lord because of the Christ, the spirit of Christ that lives within me. That is the goal. That is the purpose. That is the reason. Let that be what you're thinking about as you go about your day or maybe as you go about your day tomorrow if you're doing this at night. I hope this encourages you. Hope it helps shed some light on some things and gives you some things to think about um, as you continue to read. I hope you're enjoying this, um, and this has been a, a successful format to do this in. Uh, and I hope that you just continue to be dedicated to this study, dedicated to prayer, dedicated to Jesus first and foremost, and that your life becomes something that glorifies Him consistently. Have an awesome day. See you next time. 